Welcome back to The Law. I am B.K. Williams, and this is episode 28, and we're going to discuss a federal district court case that uh, came out last week, March 29th, 2019 to be exact. You probably heard about it. A U.S. district judge in the Southern District of California held that California's ban on magazines that hold more than 10 rounds is an unconstitutional violation of rights protected by the Second Amendment. For now, California cannot enforce the statute. Of course, the case will go on to the Ninth Circuit, and perhaps all the way to Supreme Court will be keeping an eye on it for you. And to stay up to date on that case and others, follow me on facebook.com slash bluecarp and twitter at bluecarp. I'll post and tweet about uh, legal cases frequently and about professional sports and pop culture. It's a potpourri of information. Um, Also check out the website, bluecarp.net. As always, the Law with DK Williams is brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at thelaunchpadmedia.com. Wherever you're listening, please like, comment, subscribe, share if you're so inclined. Helps us get out the word. This is an 86-page opinion. It's Duncan versus Becerra. I read it, not so you don't have to, but so you will. I give you some highlights and provide a link to the actual text in the show notes. Y'all know how I feel about opinions from people who haven't read a case. Those opinions are worth just as much as an opinion about a restaurant from someone who hasn't eaten there. All right, so the judge here is Roger T. Benitez, Southern District of California, federal judge. He was born in Havana in 1950. Now, I couldn't find much personal info on him, like how old he was when he immigrated to the U.S., but I know he went to San Diego State University, graduated in 74, and then went to Western State College of Law, graduated in 78. That's in Irvine, California. So he's not an Ivy League elitist like all nine members of the current Supreme Court. I like him. He's my new favorite judge. This opinion is a great read, at least as great as a legal opinion can be. I'm going to hit some highlights of it. All right, so the named participants, we've got Virginia Duncan. She's the named plaintiff. There are others, but she's listed first, so her name gets used. And the opinion doesn't tell us anything about her. The named defendant is Xavier Becerra, and I'm not sure if it's Xavier or Javier, but he is the Attorney General of the state of California. He's a politician. That's all we got to know. No Supreme Court justices to go over in this opinion. Just one judge, Roger Benitez. Not any disputed facts in this case is decided on summary judgment, which means everyone agrees on the facts, the important facts anyway. And the only question is, how do we apply the law? to these facts. In short, in this case, is California's ban on those magazines with the capacity greater than 10, is that constitutional? The caption of the order sums up the entire legal significance, the holding of the case. It is. This is an order granting plaintiff's motion for summary judgment declaring California Penal Code Section 32310 unconstitutional and enjoining enforcement. That means ordering them to not enforce it. Benitez, the judge, starts off with a quote from Ted Kennedy, of all people. He says, first sentence is from the judge, individual liberty and freedom are not outmoded concepts. And then the quote, the judiciary is and is often the only protector of individual rights that are at the heart of our democracy. That's Ted Kennedy uh, during the Bork nomination process, so you know where that came from. And Judge Benitez tells us some true stories in the introduction of his opinion. Let's get right into them. This is from Benitez's opinion, and I'm quoting. As two masked and armed men broke in, Susan Gonzalez was shot in the chest. She made it back to her bedroom and found her husband's 22 caliber pistol, wasting the first rounds on warning shots. She then emptied the single pistol at one attacker. Unfortunately, now out of ammunition, she was shot again by the other armed attacker. She was not able to reload or use a second gun. Both she and her husband were shot twice. 42 bullets in all were fired. The gunman fled from the house, but returned. He put his gun to Susan Gonzalez's head and demanded the keys to the couple's truck. Next one. 
when three armed intruders carrying what looked like semi-automatic pistols broke into the home of a single woman. At 3.44 a.m., she dialed 911. No answer. Feng Zhu, Chen, dressed in pajamas, held a phone in one hand and took up her pistol in the other and began shooting. She fired numerous shots. She had no place to carry an extra magazine and no way to reload because her left hand held the phone with which she was still trying to call 911. After the shooting was over and two of the armed suspects got away and one lay dead, she did get through to the police. The home security camera video is dramatic, and I've got a link to that video in the notes. It's on YouTube. Benitez continues with the third story. He says, quote, A mother, Melinda Herman, and her nine-year-old twins were at home when an intruder broke in. She and her twins retreated to an upstairs crawl space and hid. Fortunately, she had a 38 caliber revolver. She would need it. The intruder worked his way upstairs broke through a locked bedroom door and a locked bathroom door and opened the crawl space door. The family was cornered with no place to run. He stood staring at her and her two children. The mother shot six times, hitting the intruder five times when she ran out of ammunition. Though injured, the intruder was not incapacitated. Fortunately, he decided to flee. So those three stories set the table. Then he uses those stories to illustrate some statistics. His first caption is, A Need for Self-Defense. And he says, Nationally, the first study to assess the prevalence of defensive gun use estimated that there are 2.2 to 2.5 million defensive gun uses by civilians each year. Of those 340,000 to 400,000, defensive gun uses were situations where defenders believed that they had almost certainly saved a life by using the gun. Citizens often use a gun to defend against criminal attack. He then goes on to his legal conclusion, which will flesh out over the 86 pages of this opinion. He says, Fortunately, the Second Amendment protects a person's right to keep and bear firearms. Notice he said protects, not grants, as we've gone over a bunch. That is correct. It protects that right that you have because you're a human being. He goes on. The Second Amendment provides a well-regulated militia, and we'll talk about a militia in a moment, being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. The right exists, and the government shall not infringe it. That's the entire point of the Second Amendment. He goes on, as interpreted in recent years by the Supreme Court, the Second Amendment protects the, quote, right of the law-abiding responsible citizens to use arms in defense of hearth and home. He goes on, at the core of the Second Amendment is a citizen's right to have in his or and her home for self-defense common firearms. He's citing Heller. That's the U.S. Supreme Court case that came down on all this just not too long ago, several years ago. And he quotes it, our central holding in Heller is that the Second Amendment protects a personal right to keep and bear arms for lawful purposes, most notably for self-defense within the home. As evidenced by California's own crime statistics, the need to protect oneself and family from criminals in one's home has not abated, no matter how hard they try. And he says something very relevant to some of the things we've discussed. He says, law enforcement cannot protect everyone. And that's an obvious truism, right? And as we discussed in episode 23 of the law, City of Castle Rock versus Gonzalez, the police have no legal duty to protect you. They don't have the duty and they certainly do not have the ability. Therefore, we have to protect ourselves and rely on ourselves to do that. Benitez continues, a police force in a free state cannot provide everyone with bodyguards. Indeed, while some think guns cause violent crime, others think that widespread possession of guns on balance reduces violent crime. None of these policy arguments on either side affects what the Second Amendment says, that our Constitution protects the right of the people to keep and bear arms. In another section, he asks, are 10 rounds always enough? This is how he begins his answer, quote, If a law-abiding, responsible citizen in California decides that a handgun or rifle with a magazine larger than 10 rounds is the best choice for defending her hearth and home, may the state deny the choice, declare the magazine a nuisance, and jail the citizen for the crime of possession? The Attorney General 
of California, says that is what voters want in hopes of preventing a rare but horrible mass shooting. The plaintiffs, in this case, who are also citizens and residents of California, say that while the goal of preventing mass shootings is laudable, banning the acquisition and possession of magazines holding more than 10 rounds is an unconstitutional experiment that poorly fits the goal. From a public policy perspective, the choices are difficult and complicated. People may cede liberty to their government in exchange for the promise of safety, or government may gain compliance from its people by forcibly disarming it. In the United States, the Second Amendment takes the legislative experiment off the table. Regardless of current popularity, neither a legislature nor voters entrench on constitutional rights. An unconstitutional statute adopted by a dozen jurisdictions is no less unconstitutional by virtue of its popularity. That's great stuff, and he's absolutely right. Now, progressives love to remind us that rights are not subject to vote, like Benitez just said, and they're correct. But then progressives ignore that very own admonition when it comes to other people's rights, especially surrounding guns, because guns scare them. In the next section of the opinion, he compares mass shootings and common crimes. He says, when they occur, mass shootings are tragic. Innocent lives are senselessly lost, while other lives are scarred forever. Communities are left shaken, frightened, and grieving. The timeline of the tragedy, the events leading up to the shooting, and the repercussions on family and friends after the incident fill the national media news cycle for days, weeks, and years. Who has not heard about the Newtown, Connecticut mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School or the one at a high school in Parkland, Florida? But an individual victim gets little, if any, media attention, and the attention he or she gets is local and short-lived. For example, who has heard about the home invasion attack on Melinda Herman and her two twin nine-year-old daughters in Georgia only one month after the Sandy Hook incident? Who has heard of the attacks on Mrs. Xu Chen or Ms. Gonzalez and her husband? Are the lives of these victims worth any less than those lost in a mass shooting? Would their deaths be any less tragic? Unless there are a lot of individual victims together, the tragedy goes largely unnoticed. He's absolutely right. And so, and he's referring to the stories he quoted at the beginning of the opinion. He goes on, this is why mass shootings can seem to be a common problem, but in fact are exceedingly rare. At the same time, robberies, rapes, and murders of individuals are common, but draw little public notice. As in the year 2017 and 2016, there are numerous robberies, rapes, and murders of individuals in California, and no mass shootings. Nevertheless, a gubernatorial candidate was successful in sponsoring a statewide ballot measure. Californians approved the proposition and added criminalization and dispossession elements, so you have to get rid of them, to existing law prohibiting a citizen from acquiring and keeping a firearm magazine that is able to hold more than 10 rounds. The state now defends the prohibition on magazines, asserting that mass shootings are an urgent problem and that restricting the size of magazines a citizen may possess is part of the solution. And he's already made the point that they are rare. They don't happen that often. They are an imaginary hobgoblin, as Minkin referred to, the goal of which is to make people clamor for safety and give up their freedom to the government. I'll get to the exact quote momentarily. Benitez goes on, Few would say that a 100- or 50-round rifle magazine in the hands of a murderer is a good idea. Yet the solution, he's got quotes around that, like air quotes, yet the solution for preventing a mass shooting exacts a high toll on the everyday freedom of ordinary law-abiding citizens. Many individual robberies, rapes, and shootings are not prevented by the state. Unless a law-abiding individual has a firearm for his or her own defense, the police typically arrive after it is too late. With rigor mortis setting in, they mark and bag the evidence, interview bystanders, and draw chalk out outline on the ground, but the victim nevertheless is dead or raped or robbed or traumatized. As Watson County Sheriff Joe Chapman told CNN about Melinda Herman and her twin nine-year-old daughters in the attic, had it not turned out the way that it did, I would possibly be working a triple homicide, not having a clue as to who it is we're looking for. But the point is, in the story he related, she did have a gun, she did defend herself, and she's alive and so are her kids. Benitez 
says, The Second Amendment protects the would-be American victim's freedom and liberty to take matters into one's own hands and protect oneself and family until help arrives. Benitez goes on to describe the arguments in favor of the ban, citing numerous statements about no one needing more than 10 rounds, or it's not necessary to have more than 10 rounds, because the state claimed, dubiously, that the average defensive use of a firearm is only 2.2 rounds. So, in a defensive situation, you only need two, is what they're saying, maybe 2.2, right? Slightly over two. And that's the argument, part of the argument, that California is using to defend it. You don't need 10, you average, you only need 2.2. But... Benitez explains, Susan Gonzalez and her husband, the single woman awoken in the night, and the mother home alone with her nine-year-old twin daughters, all needed to fire considerably more than 2.2 shots to protect themselves. In fact, Gonzalez and the mom of twins ran out of ammunition. In other words, a Californian may have a pistol with a 10-round magazine in hopes of fighting off a home invasion robbery. But if that Californian grabs a pistol containing a 17-round magazine, it is now the home-defending victim who commits a new crime. That is before California law declares acquisition and possession of a magazine able to hold more than 10 rounds. That possession of that is a crime. Benitez goes on for several pages about the ridiculously complex California statutes concerning firearms and says, it is enough to make an angel swear. I love this guy. He goes on, perhaps not ironically, conviction as a felon carries with it the complete forfeiture of Second Amendment rights for a lifetime. And this is one of the points in Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow. Basically, that the multitude of crimes that result in people losing their rights as felons creates a permanent underclass that disproportionately affects people of color. Now, she's a super progressive, and she is correct on this. No reason to expect gun laws will be any different. Now, she doesn't say that, but that's the logical conclusion of her point. So again, speaking generally, we have progressives correctly decrying the subjugation of minorities by police while simultaneously arguing we need more statutes that make more crimes that will be used disproportionately affect minorities. It's like they don't even think this stuff out. He continues, according to the U.S. Supreme Court's reasoning, acquiring, possessing, or storing a commonly owned 15-round magazine at home for self-defense is protected at the core of the Second Amendment. Possessing a loaded 100-round rifle or magazine in a crowded public area may not be. And since he's since we are discussing a 10-round limit, he concludes it is contrary to Supreme Court precedent. We're not discussing 100-round, we're discussing 10-round magazine. He goes on, all Californians, like all citizens of the United States, have a fundamental constitutional right to keep and bear common and dangerous arms. The nation's founders use arms for self-protection, for the common defense, for hunting food, and as a check against tyranny. And I love that part. These utopian progressives can't comprehend the check against tyranny. They'll just climb in the boxcar instead of fight back. They're cowards about it, and that's fine. There are plenty of cowards during the American Revolution, but the difference is that those cowards weren't trying to impose their cowardice on everyone else. Anti-gun hysterics should not do that now, either. These folks, on one hand, declare only the police need these weapons. Then, almost simultaneously, they acknowledge the police can't protect us from bad guys. Again, it's almost as if they haven't thought it through. You hear often, no guns, no violence, Dave, as if that settles the issue. Well, if there was no gravity, no one would fall down. But guns exist just like gravity exists. Pretending legislation can change either fact is a fantasy. Yet fantasy is the basis for these anti-gun hysterics. Like in Peter Pan, if they only believe in fairies hard enough, they can save Tinkerbell. Back to Benitez. He continues with some history. The founders were aware of the need to preserve citizen access to firearms in light of the risk that a strong government would use its power to disarm the people. Like the British right to bear arms, 
because it existed in common law before the U.S. was formed. The right declared in the Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution was thus meant to be a strong moral check against the usurpation and arbitrary power of rulers, and as a necessary and efficient means of regaining rights when temporarily overturned by usurpation. Today, self-protection is most important. In the future, the common defense may once again be most important. Constitutional rights stand through time, holding fast through the ebb and flow of current controversy. Needing a solution to a current law enforcement difficulty cannot be justification for ignoring the Bill of Rights as bad policy. He's on a roll. I love this guy. He goes on. Bad political ideas cannot be stopped by criminalizing bad political speech. Crime waves cannot be broken with warrantless searches and unreasonable seizures. Neither can the government response to a few madmen with guns and ammunition be a law that turns millions of responsible, law-abiding people trying to protect themselves into criminals. Yet, this is the effect of California's large capacity magazine law. At this point, we're at Roman numeral two in his opinion, where he gets into discussing the applicable law to what's going on in California at the time. He says, in Heller, the U.S. Supreme Court provided a simple Second Amendment test in crystal clear language. It is a test that anyone can understand, as opposed to the California statutes. That was me. Back to him. The right to keep and bear arms is a right enjoyed by law-abiding citizens to have arms that are not unusual and common use for lawful purposes like self-defense. So Benitez contrasting the simple rule in Heller by the Supreme Court with California's absurdly complex statutes. He then quotes now Justice Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court back when he was on the Court of Appeals. Kavanaugh said, in my view, Heller leaves little doubt that courts are to assess gun bans and regulations based on text, history, and tradition, not by a balancing test such as strict or intermediate scrutiny. And that's exactly what I've said in other podcasts, in other contexts. Constitutional violations aren't excused based on the legislative justification. Constitutional protections exist to protect rights regardless of the legislative justification. Weighing the Constitution thusly is absurd. It's as if one might conclude banning a book is not a constitutional violation if the government's got a good enough reason. We've got to weigh this out. Come on, guys. It's not being reasonable. But no, there's no such thing. And of course there isn't. There shouldn't be. It's easy in the in the First Amendment and book context. It should be just as easy in the Second Amendment context. Benitez then goes on applying the Heller test to the California statute banning these magazines. Quote, is the firearm hardware commonly owned? Is the hardware commonly owned by law-abiding citizens? Is the hardware owned by those citizens for lawful purposes? If the answers are yes, the test is over. The hardware is protected. So he concludes the magazines banned by California pass this test and are protected. Rational decisions are usually succinct. But since the arguments made by the state are not all that rational, they're kind of hysterical, they require pages and pages of sophistry and legal gymnastics for the attorney general to make. So Benitez has to address them, and that's one reason the opinion is 86 pages long. Benitez says, Millions of ammunition magazines, able to hold more than 10 rounds, are in common use by law-abiding responsible citizens for lawful uses like self-defense. This is enough to decide that a magazine, able to hold more than 10 rounds, passes the Heller test, and is protected by the Second Amendment. The simple test applies because a magazine is an essential mechanical part of a firearm. The size limit directly impairs one's ability to defend oneself. He continues, under the simple test of Heller, California statute directly infringes Second Amendment rights. It directly infringes by broadly prohibiting common firearms and their common magazines holding more than 10 rounds because they are not unusual and are commonly used by responsible, law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes such as self-defense. And that is all that is needed for citizens to have a right under the Second Amendment to keep such weapons. Benitez then addresses one of the state's ridiculous arguments. He says, saying that large-capacity magazines are uncommon because they have been 
banned for so long is something of a tautology. It cannot be used as a constitutional support for further banning. Since the 1980s, one of the most popular handguns in America has been the Glock 17 pistol, which is designed for and typically sold with a 17-round magazine. One of the most popular youth rifles in America over the last 60 years has been the Ruger 10-22. Six million have been sold since it was introduced in 1964. It is designed to use magazines manufactured by Ruger in a variety of sizes, 10-round, 15-round, and 25-round. Over the last three decades, one of the most popular civilian rifles in America is the much-maligned AR-15-style rifle, manufactured with various characteristics by numerous companies, it is estimated that more than 5 million have been bought since the 1980s. These rifles are typically sold with 30-round magazines. These commonly owned guns with commonly sized magazines are protected by the Second Amendment and Heller's simple test for responsible law-abiding citizens to use for target practice, hunting, and defense. Benitez is nailing it. Then California makes an argument about how lethal the banned magazines are. And because they're so lethal, that means they're not protected by the Second Amendment. Benitez strikes that down, or, or slaps that down. He says, nothing in the Second Amendment makes lethality a factor to consider because a gun's lethality or dangerousness is assumed. The Second Amendment does not exist to protect the right to bear down pillows and foam baseball bats. It protects guns and every gun is dangerous. Boom, he knocks it out of the park to keep the baseball bat analogy going. And he makes this point in a footnote, which is great. So I don't normally go into footnotes, but check this one out. Artificial limits on magazine size will eventually lead to disarmament. It is an insidious plan to disarm the populace, and it depends on, for its success, a subjective standard of necessary lethality. It does not take the imagination of Jules Verne to predict that if all magazines over 10 rounds are somehow eliminated from California, the next mass shooting will be accomplished with guns holding only 10 rounds. To reduce gun violence, the state will close the newly christened 10-round loophole and use it as a justification to outlaw magazines holding more than 7 rounds. The legislature will determine that no more than 7 rounds are necessary. Then the next mass shooting will be accompanied with guns holding 7 rounds. To reduce the new gun violence, the state will close the 7-round loophole because that's what they call him. He's making fun of that. And outlaw magazines holding more than five rounds, determining that no more than five rounds are necessary. And so it goes until the lawful, law-abiding, responsible citizen will be permitted to possess is a single-shot handgun, or perhaps one gun but no ammunition, or ammunition issued only to persons deemed trustworthy. This is not a baseless speculation or scaremongering. One need only to look at New Jersey and New York. In the 1990s, New Jersey instituted a prohibition on what it would label large-capacity ammunition magazines. These were defined as magazines able to hold more than 15 rounds. Slipping down the slope of last year, New Jersey lowered the capacity of permissible magazines from 15 to 10 rounds. At least one bill had been offered that would have reduced the allowed capacity to only 5 rounds. So his example isn't made up. It's happening. It's happened. And it will continue to happen unless it's stopped. Alright, back to the main opinion out of the footnotes. As a matter of public policy. People can debate who makes the decision about how much lethality a citizen can possess. As policy, the state says a law-abiding, reasonable person needs only 10 rounds. If you judge for yourself that you'll need more than 10 rounds, however, the crime is yours. And too bad if you complied with the law, but needed 11 rounds to stop an attacker, or a group of attackers, or a mob. Now you're dead. By living a law-abiding, responsible life, you have just become another gun violence statistic. And your statistic may be used to justify further restrictions on gun lethality for future law-abiding citizens. What Stefan said there is who will then perhaps become dead because of the law. Benitez goes on. The Heller Court also wrote that the amendment, Second Amendment, surely elevates above all other interests the right of the law-abiding, responsible citizen to use arms in defense of hearth and home. 
after that discussion, he concludes that portion of the opinion. He says, California's law prohibiting acquisition and possession of magazines able to hold any more than 10 rounds places a severe restriction on the core right of self-defense of the home, such that it amounts to a destruction of the right and is unconstitutional under any level of scrutiny. The criminalization of a citizen's acquisition and possession of magazines able to hold more than 10 rounds hits directly at the core of the right of self-defense in the home. It is a complete ban on acquisition. It is a complete ban on possession. It is a ban applicable to all ordinary law-abiding responsible citizens. It is a ban on possession that applies inside a home and outside a home. He then goes on to discuss the difference between selling and possessing a firearm and mentions the case where, quote, prohibition on selling firearms to a marijuana cardholder was not a severe burden on core Second Amendment rights. Another case held this because the ban applied only to the sale of firearms, not possession of firearms. And this is the kind of nonsense that makes people disrespect the law. I can possess a gun, but I can't buy one. See, that's stupid. It's absolutely stupid. And that's why people don't respect the law because it's stupid. Benitez goes on to discuss the militia and how when the Second Amendment was passed, they, the militia, were expected to report with the guns they owned at home. And what's the militia in modern times? Now, I've heard people say it's the National Guard, but that doesn't hold up, really. And I'm pretty sure the National Guard doesn't make you bring your own firearms. The militia today and forever is you and me. It's farmers and shopkeepers, just like during the revolution, who got together and fought the then-existing legal authority. They fought the police. They fought the government. They, the individuals, were the militia, just like all of us individually. And while Isoroku Yamamoto, who was Fleet Admiral and Commander-in-Chief of the Imperial Japanese Navy during World War II, probably never actually said this, but it's attributed to him all the time, even though he didn't say it probably, the statement is true. You cannot invade the mainland United States there would be a rifle behind every blade of grass. That's the way it should be. Modern progressives so willing to subjugate others and to be subjugated are fearful of the sentiment. They're fearful of rifles or firearms. They're cowards about it. Guns scare them, so they don't want anyone to have them. And again, all restrictions are bans. They talk about reasonable regulations. Every regulation is a ban. On something, because if you restrict magazine capacity to 10, you ban magazines larger than 10. You regulate anyone under 21 from owning a firearm, you've banned anyone under 21 from owning a firearm. Whatever you're regulating or restricting, you're banning something. Now, you're not banning all guns, but you're banning parts of the right to own guns, parts of the Second Amendment. And they will keep doing that until it's gone, as Benitez points out in his opinion. All common sense gun regulations, with air quotes, are bans on something. So don't let them get away with that sophistry. Point that out. It's nonsense. Subjugation is un-American. And it's heartwarming to see so many sheriffs and so many local governments here in Colorado declare that they will not abide by the newly passed red flag legislation in Colorado. Those people refuse to be subjugated. These sheriffs, these city officials, county officials, that's American. Support these people. And shun those who, on the other hand, are willing to be subjugated and who are more willing to subjugate others. Sam Adams was American. He represents what America is all about. His famous quote applies. And it's a shame this quote isn't carved in stone over every public school in this country as you walk in the main entrance. Most of you have heard this. Sam Adams said, If ye love wealth better than liberty, the tranquility of servitude better than the animating contest of freedom. Go home from us in peace. We ask not your counsels or arms. Crouch down and lick the hands which feed you. May your chain set lightly upon you, and may posterity forget that ye were our countrymen. 
That's beautiful. That's what it is to be American. And like I said in an earlier episode when we discussed Miranda, there's nothing more American than asserting your rights as an individual. Never consent to searches. Never at, never talk to law enforcement about anything other than the football or basketball game last week. Talk about the weather. But never talk about what's in your bag or your trunk or where you're going or what you were doing last night. That's American. And we've lost sight of that. It's, it's the quote-unquote conservatives that want you to subjugate yourself to the state when it comes to giving up your right to remain silent or to be secure in your personal effects and home. And it's the progressives, with air quotes, that want you to subjugate yourselves on guns and your right to self-defense. None of that is American. American. They're un-American positions. Both of those positions are cowardly. They're among those who are telling you to lick the hand of your oppressor. Say no, you will not. Subjugation is cowardice. You are your own militia all by yourself. We already know the police have no duty and no ability to protect you. Only you have that duty. Don't let anybody take your guns or restrict them, which is just a smaller ban in any way. Benitez then refutes another dubious argument made by California. Benitez says, to sum up, then, while detachable firearm magazines have been common for a century, government regulation of the size of a magazine is a recent phenomenon and still unregulated in four-fifths of the states. The record is empty of the persuasive historical evidence needed to place a magazine ban outside the ambit of the Second Amendment. Thus, it could be seen that California's prohibition on detachable ammunition magazines larger than 10 rounds is a type of prohibition that has not been historically accommodated by the Second Amendment. He then gets into some more history to illustrate this. He says, Firearms with a capacity exceeding 10 rounds date to the dawn of firearms. In the late 15th century, Leonardo da Vinci designed a 33-shot weapon. In the late 17th century, Michel Lorenzoni designed a practical repeating flintlock rifle. Perhaps the most famous rifle in American history is the one used by Lewis and Clark on their discovery expedition between 1803 and 1806. The magazine for which held 22 46 caliber balls. Rifles with fixed magazines holding 15 rounds were widely used in the American Civil War. During that same period, revolvers with a capacity of 20 rounds were available, but enjoyed limited popularity because they're so ungainly. Yet, despite the existence of arms with large firing capacity during the time of the adoption of the Second Amendment, more than a century passed before a firing capacity law was passed. He goes on, It is interesting to note that during the nation's founding era, states enacted regulations for the formation and maintenance of citizen militias. Rather than restricting firing capacity, they required firing capacity. These statutes required citizens to equip themselves with arms and a minimum quantity of ammunition for those arms. None placed an upper limit of 10 rounds. Far from it. Each imposed a floor of at least 20 rounds. I love history. Benitez goes on, because history is important when we're talking about the Second Amendment. He continues, In 1776, Paul Revere's Minutemen were required to have ready 30 bullets and gunpowder. These early American citizen militias, the laws, suggest that contrary to the idea of a firing capacity upper limit on the number of rounds a citizen was permitted to keep with one's arms, there was an obligation that citizens would have at least 20 rounds available for immediate use. Simply put, there were no upper limits. There were floors, and the floors were well above 10 rounds. California kept making these ridiculous arguments. Among them, because I can't get out, I'm not going to get, I'm probably getting into too many as it is, but they made one more ridiculous argument. They argued about a South Dakota statute that they said banned machine guns with more than five rounds, except it didn't at all. It specifically says, nothing contained in this act shall prohibit or interfere with the possession of a machine gun for a purpose manifestly not aggressive or offensive. So you can have a machine gun under this South Dakota law. 
just as long as you're being defensive with it. This ties right in with the entire foundation of libertarian thought, the non-aggression principle, right? Benitez says, The 1933 South Dakota statute protected a law-abiding citizen's right to possess a machine gun with a firing capacity over five rounds for self-defense and defense of home and family and any other purpose not manifestly aggressive or offensive. California statute, in contrast, criminalizes for all reasons possession of a magazine holding more than 10 rounds. So much for the first example. And he goes on and does that with these other arguments. I mean, the state of California is just making misrepresentations. They're passing off falsehoods. And every anti-gun argument boils down to the same thing. It is, I don't like guns, they scare me. That's it. Well, there's no good constitutional argument based on they scare me. So people like the California AG, Becerra, make things up. And there's a long history of people making things up in the courts to further a policy. And it's almost always a policy of more state power, just like in this case. And in episode five, we talked about Wickard v. Filburn, where they made up nonsense and the court was willing to accept it because they wanted to expand government power and restrict individual autonomy. Benitez points out, California statute in criminalizing possession of magazines holding more than 10 rounds makes no distinction between use for an offensive purpose and use for a defensive purpose. And this is unlike the statutes California tried to argue were relevant. They weren't. It's dishonesty. Further, Benitez points out that these three statutes that California was trying to argue are examples of machine gun bans that are prohibited because of their ability to continuously fire rounds with a single trigger pull, rather than their overall firing capacity. Completely different argument, which the California Attorney General tries to pass off as legitimate is not. So applying the Heller test, Benitez says, the California statute runs afoul of the Second Amendment under the simple Heller test. It fails the Heller test because it criminalizes a law-abiding citizen's possession of a common magazine that is used for lawful purposes and prohibits its use for self-defense in and around the home. It strikes at the core of the inalienable constitutional right and disenfranchises approximately 39 million state residents. That's how many people own them in California. He goes on, this conclusion should not be considered groundbreaking. It's simply a straightforward application of constitutional law to an experimental government overreach that goes far beyond traditional boundaries of reasonable gun regulation. Then Benitez has a heading where he's basically making fun of the Ninth Circuit, which I love because you're a federal judge, you got a life appointment, you can do whatever you want. The heading in the opinion, quote, the tripartite binary test with a sliding scale and a reasonable fit. Just by reciting that, he's mocking it. It's beautiful. So this is what he says. Beyond the simple Heller test for a Second Amendment question, the Ninth Circuit uses what might be called a tripartite binary test with a sliding scale and a reasonable fit. In other words, Benitez says, there are three different two-part tests after which the sliding scale of scrutiny is selected. Most courts select intermediate scrutiny in the end, Intermediate scrutiny, in turn, looks for a reasonable fit. It is an overly complex analysis that people of ordinary intelligence cannot be expected to understand. It is the wrong standard, but the statute fails anyhow. But I want to make a different point, or a larger point, or expand on this. Mentioned Wickard, we talked about episode 5. That's where progressives didn't like the restrictions on the federal government listed in the Constitution, so they made up an argument to ignore what the Constitution actually says. They're trying to do the same with the Second Amendment. They don't like the Second Amendment, so they're manufacturing pretext and employing sophistry, just like in Wickard and a lot of other cases, hoping some activist judges will go along with the charade because they're smarter than us. They don't want, they don't need to be held back by the Constitution. I mean, no, Obama said as much. The judge here, though, calls them out on that charade. 
We'll see if the Ninth Circuit does, and perhaps the Supreme Court. Hopefully they will. But it's good to see at some level that somebody gets it. And many people do, but it's good to see it in print. Benitez brings it around in modern times with an example. He writes, In a peaceful society, a 10-round limit may not be severe. When thousands of people are rioting, as happened in Los Angeles in 1992, or more recently with Antifa members in Berkeley in 2017, a 10-round limit for self-defense is a severe burden. When a group of armed burglars break into a citizen's home, At night, and the homeowner in pajamas must choose between using their left hand to grab either a telephone, a flashlight, or an extra 10-round magazine, the burden is severe. When one is far from help in a sparsely populated part of the state, and law enforcement may not be able to respond in a timely manner, as if they ever are, the burden of a 10-round limit is severe. When a major earthquake causes power outages, gas and water line ruptures, collapsed bridges and buildings, and chaos, the burden of a 10-round magazine limit is severe. When food distribution channels are disrupted and sustenance becomes scarce while criminals run rampant, the burden of a 10-round magazine limit is severe. Surely the rights protected by the Second Amendment are not to be trimmed away as unnecessary because today's litigation happens during the best of times. He's got some more nice prose. He says the California statute is not narrowly tailored. It's not tailored at all. It fits like a burlap bag. It's a single-dimensional prophylactic blanket thrown across the population of the state. Beautiful, I love that. He makes another good point about California. This limit doesn't do anything to prevent mass shootings. He writes, mass shootings are tragic, but they're rare events. Of these rare events, many are committed without large-capacity magazines. For example, in the two high school incidents in 2018, one assailant used a shotgun and a 38 revolver. That was at Santa Fe High School in Santa Fe, Texas, while the other used an AR-15 style rifle, but with 10-round magazines at Stoneman Douglas School in Parkland. In the attack at the Capital Gazette newspaper in Annapolis, Maryland, five people were killed, two injured by an assailant with a shotgun and smoke grenades. On this evidence, the California statute is not a reasonable fit. It hardly fits at all. It appears on this record to be a haphazard solution, likely to have no effect on an exceedingly rare problem, while at the same time burdening the constitutional rights of many other California law-abiding responsible citizens. In other words, California wants to restrict freedom by an act that has no effect on a problem that barely exists. That sums up a whole hell of a lot of government acts, doesn't it? California uh, cites a ridiculous study by Mother Jones Magazine in support of the statute. Benitez eviscerates it. He does talk about other misleading studies that are just bull nonsense. Quote, the U.S. Department of Education does no better. It reported nearly 240 school-related shootings in 2015-16, but NPR did an investigation and could confirm only 11 incidents. So NPR refuted it. Props to them. These lies are used to create hysteria so that people will clamor for government protection. Blatant lies. Don't believe this stuff. As Minkin said, the whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed and hence clamorous to be led to safety by an endless series of hobgoblins, most of them imaginary. The gun scare is one of these hobgoblins. So is global warming. And from conservatives, so is runaway juries and tort abuse and the evils of drugs. There are many more. And back to the Colorado red flag thing that just passed, one of the legislators who was in favor of it was gushing about how awesome it was. And he said that this is going to stop these problems of um, massive gun shootings, which are, quote, always happening, end quote. He said that, always happening, if that's not a lie, an imaginary hobgoblin, trying to keep the populace alarmed, nothing is. It's, it's not acceptable. And then Benitez goes on to make a point that I consistently make on these podcasts. The Constitution is supposed to make things harder for the government. 
He says, the state has important interests, public safety, preventing gun violence, keeping our police safe. At this level of generality, these interests can justify any law and virtually any restriction. Imagine the crimes that could be solved without the Fourth Amendment. The state could search for evidence of a crime anywhere on a whim. Without the First Amendment, the state could better police the Internet. The state could protect its citizens from child pornography, sex trafficking, and radical terrorists. The state could limit internet use by law-abiding citizens to, say, 10 hours a day or 10 websites a day. Perhaps it could even put an end to Facebook cyberbullying. Another bullet point, no pun intended, he says, it throws the law-abiding, self-defending citizen who continues to possess a magazine able to hold more than 10 rounds into the same jail cell as the criminal. Gun violence to carry out a crime is horrendous and should be condemned by all and punished harshly. Defensive gun violence may be the only way a law-abiding citizen can avoid becoming a victim. Another bullet point, he says, the fit of the statute is best ungainly and very loose. That is all that it takes to conclude that the statute is unconstitutional. The fit is like that of a father's long raincoat on a little girl for Halloween. The problem of mass shootings is very small. The state's solution is a triple extra large and untailored drape that covers all law-abiding and responsible citizens. Another one, quote Benitez, It is worth noting that in evaluating the strength of the government's fear of bystander injury, the state has not identified one incident where a bystander was hurt from a citizen's defensive gun use much less a defensive use of a gun with a high-capacity magazine. This worrisome scenario is improbable and hypothetical. And in my words, NHL Minkin's words, I'm quoting him, it's a hobgoblin, an imaginary hobgoblin. And then near the end, we're getting near the end, Judge Benitez has a subhead that's just irony. I love that. It includes this. Perhaps the irony of the California statute escapes notice. The reason for the adoption of the Second Amendment was to protect the citizens of the new nation from the power of an oppressive state. The anti-federalists were worried about the risk of oppression by a standing army. The colonies had witnessed the standing army of England marching through Lexington to Concord, Massachusetts, on a mission to seize the arms and gunpowder of the militia and the Minutemen, an attack that ignited the Revolutionary War. With colonists still hurting from the wounds of war, the Second Amendment guaranteed the rights of new American citizens to protect themselves from oppressors, foreign and domestic. So now it is ironic that the state whittles away at the right of its citizens to defend themselves from the possible oppression of their state. Nailed it. Another bullet point. He wrote, the government's proposed prophylaxis to protect against the violations of the few, we must burden the constitutional rights of the many, turns the Second Amendment on its head. Our founders crafted a constitution to promote the liberty of the individual, not the convenience of the government. That is just dead on. Maybe we can etch that above public schools entryways as well. Another highlight of his prose and decision. The state has not carried its burden to justify the restrictions on firearm magazines protected by the Second Amendment based on the undisputed material facts and evidence. This is not to be lamented. It ought to provide reassurance, to borrow a phrase, just that it is the proudest boast of our free speech jurisprudence that we protect speech that we hate, the proudest boast of our free exercise jurisprudence that we protect religious beliefs that we find offensive. It is the proudest boast of our Second Amendment jurisprudence that we protect a citizen's right to keep and bear arms that are dangerous and formidable. And that's a good note upon which to end, as I mentioned in the intro, or maybe I didn't, but he also gets into the takings clause and finds that the statute in California is also an unconstitutional taking. And finally, this is it, I promise. He wrote, this decision, his opinion, is a freedom calculus decided long ago by colonists who cherished individual freedom more than the subservient security of a British ruler. The freedom they fought for was not free of cost then, and it is not 
free now. I'm D.K. Williams, and this has been The Law, Episode 28, Duncan versus Becerra, where the U.S. District Judge Roger Benitez held California's law banning magazines with a capacity of larger than 10 is unconstitutional. Thank goodness. We're brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at launchpadmedia.com. Follow me on Twitter at BlueCarp, facebook.com slash BlueCarp, and BlueCarp.net. Let me know what you think. Give me any suggestions or ideas. Glad to hear them. And as always, remember, government is not a tool of liberation. It is a tool of oppression. 